with our mind. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be the teacher tonight, to take the things that I've studied that you've taught me and to draw them out of my heart and maybe be spoken in terms that are clear, understandable. So may we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit of God is saying to us tonight. And for these things, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I, I sat down today. I was scheduled to film a special an edition of our TV program, Catch the Truth, just because with some of the events we've had, we were a little, little behind with our, um, with our programming. And then this happens, and I just decided to take the opportunity to just to sit down and talk from my heart about what this means and where we are. And I'm going to pick up on that on Sunday and, and devote Sunday's message to what's happened, but what it means. And the title of the message is twofold. It's going to be Good and Evil, Light and Darkness. So I would encourage you to be here, or if not able to be here, to watch and just pray with me that the Spirit of God will say what we need to hear. We need to hear from God. We need to hear what God wants to say to us. So often we've been so busy with church, with the things that we want, the things that we don't like, the things we want to see change, the things we're hoping God's going to do, and, and we don't really come and open our hearts to God. What, you tell us what we need to know. You do hear what you want to do here, and we just surrender ourselves to you. And as we'll begin to do that, we'll find that God will begin to do things that we've only dreamt about. He's promised us great things, and why haven't we seen them? Why do we sing songs like we sing tonight? And yet, so many of us live defeated, discouraged lives. We come to church and sing about victory, and we, we believe it while we're in church, but where is the victory? Where are the chains that are falling down? More and more people, believers, are bound up by things and not free. And we come and sing about it, and we rejoice in it, and it's wonderful And we go back into a world of bondage to fear, bondage to addictions, bondage to all kinds of things that chain us up and chain in within us the presence of God and the kingdom of God, the reality of what God's put in us. And as we're learning in this study we're doing, that the key to that is is renewing of our mind. So we'll pick up on this tonight. We're going to go into another phase of it tonight, but let's go back and just very quickly review. Our signature, key signature, of course, is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then the second verse says, we should know it by heart by now, that you be Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. And what we've learned is the the instructions of that verse are one thing we're not to do, and the second thing we are to do. So what we're not to do is to be conformed to this world. And that word, as we've studied in Greek, is a word that means not to change who you are, but to take who you are and by pressure mold what you look like into what that mold looks like. And, the, and the, what does that is the cares of this world, the issues of this world, the pressures of this world, 
They're not just coming to destroy us, they come in to keep who we are on the inside from showing up on the outside. Because as I've shared with you a number of times now, Satan couldn't stop God from changing you. So his next goal is to keep the change that God's put on the inside from showing up on the outside where it affects anybody else. And that's what this verse is really about. And so the process says to be not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world's pressure, the world's system, the world's way of thinking pressure you into talking like this world, thinking like this world, and acting like this world, and looking like this world. But instead, we're to be transformed. It's a Greek word that means to take what your inner nature is and bring it to the outside so that it comes visible and begins to affect the people and community that are around you. And we're not going to dwell on that because we've spent a number of sessions on that. So, what we've signed, if you have that, can you show that first slide? This is just quickly review. We saw that God's, the kingdom, that the, the worlds that the, that the Bible describes are two kingdoms. There's the material realm of existence, which is this physical realm that's detected by your five senses. And then there's the spirit realm, which is just as real, in fact, more real. It's the realm where God lives, and that's what you really are on the inside. You are a spirit being. Angels are spirit beings, but they have no body, no physical body. You're a spirit being that has a physical body. But as we've learned before, because of the very nature of the spirit being and the physical being, they cannot have a contact with each other. They can't affect each other. So God gave you a third part, which is your soul, which consists of your, what you would basically call your personality. But it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that soul in you is a bridge that, communi- that makes contact both with the spirit person on the inside and the physical body in which, you mo- in which you get around with and which you accomplish things in this, in this life, which is showing up what's on the inside to the outside. And then we talked about your soul is made up of three parts, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so what controls what comes, what God's put on the inside, what, what controls what part of that comes to the outside is your soul. And the part of you that determines that, part of your soul is your will. Show the next slide. So there's a battle in your soul to control your will because you will not do anything that you do not will to do. And both God and Satan are trying to influence your will because they need your body to express themselves in this world. So the battle is for your will, but the battleground on which that battle's fought is your mind. And so Joyce Meyer's writing a great book, and there are other great books written about the battlefield of the mind. And that's true, but you've got to know what the battle's for, the battle's after your will, your will. Okay, so that's what, we're, that's what we've been about. That's kind of quick review. So we begin to talk about, so it's important to know how to, but the Bible says that this process is controlled by re- renewing of your mind. Your mind controls what you let into your spirit, and your mind controls what comes out of your spirit. It's a gateway. And so, and we've talked about that before. So what we began to look at a week or so ago is that how your mind works. Because in order to renew it, you've got to understand how it operates. 
not a scientific discovery, but your mind works in patterns of thought. The basic unit that your mind uses are thoughts. And those thoughts are formed, if you can, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Do you have that verse? There you go. And this describes the process. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. So one of these things is strongholds. Verse 5. Casting down arguments. King, New King, or King James says imaginations. That word literally means a system of thoughts that, that affect you. So just a, it's not an argument like you and I might argue back and forth. It's a set argument for or against something. So when I was practicing law, I would go into court and I would have an argument I would present to the judge. And it was an outlined series of steps or principles or arguments. And it was to convince him of my point of view. That's what that word means. It's a set of thought patterns that, that create an image. And that's what some translations use. Casting down arguments or, or imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We're going to come back and look at that a little bit more tonight. Bringing every thought into captivity. So the three elements that about what your mind operates are in these two verses are set forth. Thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And so we're going to work backwards. The strongholds are when you get an image that is so deeply embedded in you, you're not even aware it's there, but it's controlling you. So one thought, one word, something triggers something in you. Or you go to do something that you have every reason to believe you ought to be able to do, and somewhere inside you freeze. I remember years ago, there was a situation in our family, and, and I won't go into the details of it, but, but my father called me. And he was upset about something, and he didn't bother to find out my side of it. He just laid into me. And, and I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'm a successful lawyer, and my father's talking to me as if I'm a child. And, and I, it was 45 minutes, and then when I finally got off the phone, I didn't say anything. I got off the phone and hung up, and my wife turns to me, and she says, why did you listen to that for 45 minutes? And I had to think about that. Cause, and I said, the moment I hear his voice, I'm six years old. That's a stronghold. I, 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 no matter how hard I would have rationally thought about it, that trigger was there as a stronghold. And many of us have different kinds of strongholds, and they have a stronghold on you, and they control areas of your life. They may have an area of your life marked off and say, you can't go there. You can't do this. Maybe it was something in, in, embedded in you as a child. Well, we don't do that. We, we, we don't, you, you know, we're, we're, we grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, so, so you can't ever do, you can't ever go over there and do that. Or you'll always be those, this and so. Or our families of this nationality, and we're always like this. And those are images, those are things burned into you, but the good news is they can be replaced. They can be replaced. The second element, and I'm going backwards, are the imaginations. Imagination is a picture in your mind. In fact, show the next slide, if you have the next slide there. Here you go. I used this before. And we've all thought, everybody by now would realize that's a cat. No, it's not a cat. It's a drawing with a bunch of dots on it and some lines. But the reason you look at that and get the image of a cat is in your mind, you're connecting dots. 
You may not go them by numbers, but you can look enough at that to figure out what that's likely at. And I don't, didn't bring in the other slides today, but, but when I showed this the first time, I, I showed where I had connected the dots in correct order, and it clearly shows it's an outline of a cat. But then I went through and took this same connect the dots uh, uh, drawing, and I connected them in a different order, and it looked like a monster. And that's what our mind does. Because the third element are thoughts. And thoughts are like dots. They're like pixels, like in a picture. And we've talked about this before. If you look at a photograph in a newspaper with a magnifying glass, you'll see it's not a constant picture. It's a series of little dots with varying degrees of, of, of gray or darkness or black. The TV screen is the same way. Your computer screen is made up of pixels, which are electronic little dots. And so it's not a whole picture, it's a series of dots put together in a particular order that when you step back and look at it, forms an image. And that's what thoughts do in your mind. Every thought is intended to be a dot in some image in your mind. And if that image is there long enough, and you act on it long enough, that image becomes a stronghold, just like on your computer screen when they have the, they had the, the screen savers because if you don't if you leave that image there long enough it becomes a permanent image embedded in those little dots and that's what happens that's what happens in our mind so the process of, of changing the goal the goal is to change the strongholds because they're what controls us you change the strongholds by changing the image and you change the image by changing the dots that make up the image but one of the things I taught you last time is you, don't tear, you can't tear the strongholds down because they're already in there. What you do is you replace them with new images that will eventually become a stronghold. The reason you do that, because one of the keys, we learned some keys last week. In fact, can you put that? That's, there you go. These were keys we talked, this is what we talked about last week for doing this. Because God has ordained a process to help you change those images in your mind and to change those strongholds in your mind. And so these are a series of things we went through. The word, the word We're going to use the word to do that. So in order to do that, the word has to be in the authority in your life. Otherwise, your mind won't pay enough attention to it. We talked about how to get, you have to get control of your mind because you're going to determine what goes in it. We learned, and this is one of the reasons why you don't try to take the old strongholds apart, because the longer you look at something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So if you're trying to change a stronghold by working on the stronghold, all you're really doing is making that stronghold stronger. We learned one of the things is you cannot think of one, one thought, one, more than one thought at a time. So you can stop the wrong thoughts by replacing them with the godly thoughts. Then the other two other things we talked about we, you can look at at your leisure. I want, to, I want to move on. Okay. So, those are keys. So tonight what we're going to do is, is talk a little, bit more, a little bit more about this process. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10, starting in verse 3. So this is a verse earlier, and Paul is talking here not about strongholds in my mind and your mind with our self-image. He's talking about strongholds that were being deposited in the church to, 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 to give them things that would interfere with their growing in the Lord. 
And, and he's talking about a spiritual battle here, because ultimately it, it is. And we've talked about that before. Go back, no, verse 3. For, for though we walk in the flesh, though we live in this flesh, in this body, he said, we don't war against these things with our flesh. Now, what most of us do when we try to change our self-image, when we try to change these things, we war against these things with our flesh. So what we try to do is we try harder and harder and harder to change how we see ourselves. We try harder and harder and harder to change what we think of God. We try harder and harder and harder to try to overcome these things. And the harder you try, the more frustrated you'll get because your flesh does not have the ability to overcome these strongholds because they have a spiritual source. This is good news. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. But look at this. This is important to see because, because some of you have tried for years to try to change things in your life. And sometimes it feels like you're making progress and then you'll fail. You'll slip and you'll go back. And then you'll get discouraged. And then finally something triggers it and you decide, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to try it again. And you go through that same pattern again and then you get discouraged and you quit. And then something triggers it and you've got to try it again. And you go through this cycle over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. And, 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 and somewhere down inside you just really don't have any confidence it's ever going to work because you're using the flesh to try to overcome the flesh. Paul says, the weapons we've been given for this, they're not of the flesh, but they're, look at this, they're mighty in God. That stronghold, that image you have, might seem like a mountain to you, immovable. But God has ordained something that's mighty, look at this, in God for the pulling down of those strongholds. So we're not talking about some self-help mechanism. I remember when, 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 before we were saved, and I was looking for an answer for life. And, and I, some of you may remember, there was a book that was popular. This was in the 70s. And, and the, the, the basis of the book, the title of the book is, I'm okay, you're okay. Anybody remember that book? Basically what that book was saying, look, here's how you get over the, the, the mess that you are. Let's make an agreement. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say you're okay, and you're going to tell me I'm okay. So we're going to both pretend we're okay, and therefore we'll feel okay about ourselves. The problem with that is we know down inside I'm not okay, and I'm pretty suspicious you're not okay. So we're, it's trying to fool ourselves. It doesn't get at the root of the problem. It's a mind game. But this is mighty through God. I want that to sink into you. It's mighty through God. God has ordained this method to pull down those strongholds in your mind. It's the might and the power of God that's going to work to do that. We just need to know how to cooperate with his process. Remember Philippians said, for it is God who is at work in you. If you're a Christian, and if everybody I can see in here that I know of is, then God is at work in you right now with his mighty power, both the will and to do his good pleasure. He's at work in you. He's ready to pull down these strongholds, but he just needs us to cooperate with him. And the part of us he needs to cooperate with us with him is located between your left ear 
and your right ear. It's your mind. This is the part we have to do. God, when you came to Christ, God put in you his kingdom. He joined you to his son. You and, we're going to learn this more as we get to the end. You and Christ have been joined and fused together. If any man be in Christ, not in church, not a member of the church, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new spirit species of being. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So whatever you're facing tonight, whatever looks like it's overwhelming to you that it can't be conquered, whatever mountain that's facing you about yourself or your family or some situation, you need to renew your mind to this, who you are on the inside. This is what we're going to get to. Christ, the Son of the living God, lives in you through the Holy Spirit. If the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken and make alive your mortal body. The power to heal your body doesn't come down out of heaven. It comes out of you. It's in you right now. What's holding it back is located between your left ear and your writer. Everything God has for you, everything God's done for you is already in you now. You don't have to go get it. That's why Romans says, don't try to call it down out of heaven. Don't try to bring it up for the abyss. The word is in you, in your mouth, and in your heart. But if we, if we believe it's out there somewhere and it's over on the other side of this mountain and I've got to move this mountain and I've been trying and I get weary and discouraged, you'll, you won't, you'll give up eventually. You may go through the motions, but you won't believe it's going to happen. But if you realize what's in you is mighty in God to pull those strongholds down. Mighty in God to change you. I, I, I just have this sense. I know what God's doing with me, and I just have this sense it's not just me. Uh, when Lafayette Scales was here this last year, some of the things he said were so, I mean, always he says things that are powerful, but it was, I just sensed it was for this time, for right now. And he talked about taking the limitations off. They're great things God wants to do, and he's not going to do them in a building. He's going to do them through you and through me. Anybody that's open, but what limits us, what stops us, is these strongholds. I can't. I never could. I don't know that I ever I'm too old. I'm too young. I don't have enough education. All these excuses that God wants to expose and remove them so that we can get about being and doing what God wants to do through us, in us, and through us, because there's a world out there. We'll look, talk about this on Sunday. There's a world out there dying in darkness, stumbling around, angry and frustrated. Why are these things happening? And they can't find answers. They're trying to find answers, and there's no answer in what they're trying to find because the answer can't come from within man. It's got to come through God, and he lives in you and me, and the answer is in you and me. It's answers in his body in the earth. And it's these strongholds that affect all of us in one degree or another that's keeping us just sitting in church. 
hiding in church in some cases. The book of Acts tells us a bunch of bunch of timid, scared men and some women that just saw their leader brutally killed and slaughtered. And they were afraid, hiding in an upper room. And then even the fact that they saw him alive for a number of days, just showing up in their room and back, that had an impact on them, but they were still timid and scared and confused. Until one day, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit came in and filled the place where they were, and it filled them all, and it changed them into different men and women from the inside out. The Apostle Paul, bold, determined man on the way to destroy the church and the Christians in Damascus, has an encounter with the living Christ and it changes him forever and it changes the world. That's in you and me. That potential is in you and me. And this is why I believe that this teaching and message is so critical and so important at this time because God is saying to us, I want to set you free, not just so you can enjoy your life, but I want to set you free because of the things I have put in you that I want to put in you, that I want to flow through you, flow through my people, through my body, through the church. But we can't, it can't happen if we're stumbling around in the same darkness that the world's stumbling around in. Because we've allowed the world, news, pressures of life, to try to press us and conform us. Although the kingdom of God is on the inside of us, anyone who encounters us, we look just like the world. We talk like the world, discouraged, afraid, defeated. I'm talking about myself as well as you. Or maybe I'm just talking about myself, and you can listen in. God wants to bring a change. He wants to pour His Spirit out with the demonstration and power of the Spirit, but He can't do it because our minds will stop it from working. The Spirit of God, I believe there are times He wants to, to, to do things in our mind. So I can't do that. We can't do that. What do I look like? What do people think of me? And all that's located up here because it doesn't match an image that you have up here. When I got saved, and we got saved, and then we found out about the, about the Holy Spirit. That's another story for another day. And we went through a, a course, because it was back in the middle of the charismatic renewal and the, all kinds of Bible studies around, people being moved by the Spirit. There were wonderful, amazing spiritual things happening. And we were attending a, 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 a Catholic, we weren't Catholic, we were attending a Catholic charismatic prayer meeting and part of it involved a course that you went through to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we went through that course and we had hands laid on us and we were filled with the Holy Spirit but I never experienced speaking in tongues and I would meet with we were meeting with friends of ours who were pastors and um, once and in fact the story I told you last week about the little, our little dog was one of these meetings and we were talking about this they prayed for me and I was just struggling and I would get to the point where I would, where alone, I would try to pray in tongues, and I would, I couldn't get it out. Until one night I'd had it, and they, my family was in bed, and I was, it was late at night, and I just said, God, I, 
something's got to give. I can't keep doing this. What is the problem? And suddenly the Lord showed me. He says, the problem is when this starts bubbling up in you, your mind automatically concludes what you're going to sound like. And listen carefully. It doesn't fit the image you have as of a sophisticated lawyer. And so your mind's shutting it down. And the moment he showed me that, I made the decision, I don't care if I sound like a fool. And the moment I did that, I opened my mouth, and it started flowing, and an hour and a half later, it's still flowing. What stopped it was the image I had of myself, what this was going to sound like. And I'm sharing these personal stories with you because they affected me. They affected something God had put in me and wanted to flow out of me for my own benefit and my communion with him as well as some other things. But my image I had of myself stopped it from coming out. What images do you have of yourself that stop what God has already put in you? And maybe you've had thoughts, I could do this, and maybe God would have me do this, and, 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 and maybe, 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 maybe. And, and, but the image, what, what are people going to think? Can I do that? Those are strongholds that the devil's trying to form or has formed in your mind. So this is important to God to pull these down. So this all comes out of his mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Okay, let's get on with this. All right. So, the fight ultimately is against the strongholds and imaginations. Now, look at this. Um, go back to go back to go to verse five. Casting down arguments or imaginations in every high thing. Look what they do. Look what these imaginations do. Look what these strongholds do. They exalt themselves against what against really knowing God, what God is really like. They exalt themselves itself against the knowledge of God, against personal experience with Him. I've been meditating for much of this year on the cross, the incarnation and the cross, the amazing thing that God will become a man and come among a man and live among us, and then God would become a man under the curse that you and I are. Because on that cross, God put your curse and my curse on his son. And he bore that curse for us. Why? So that we could come to him and have a relationship with him. Because that sin and that curse separated us from him. That's the desire he has for you to know him and me to know him. Those of you watching online, that's the desire he has for you to know him personally, intimately. That's the desire. That's what the price he paid for was paid for. Not just so you and I could be with him in heaven. That's wonderful. But so you and I could be with him now, here on earth. That he could be intimately involved in every affair of your life, there to provide you the wisdom, the comfort, the answers, the strength, whatever it is you need, that you could know him. Paul prayer that. He said, I've counted everything that was that accomplished in my life as, literally it says, as dumb. That I may know him. Philippians chapter 3. And be found in him. In him. Notice that. In him. Not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness which comes by faith in Christ in God. 
and that I may know him. That word know is the same word that's used when the Greek translation says in Genesis, and Adam knew Eve and conceived. It describes an intimate physical union, intimate spiritual union, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering may be conformed to his death that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's not just resurrection from the dead on the day of resurrection. That's a resurrection from the dead person that we are, the deadness in our life. Exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. All right, let's go back to this, John. Okay, so... So the weapon that we have for renewing our mind is ordained by God with his power to accomplish it. It's to know God by experience. And here's what the answer is. Here's where it comes. And this is why it was important last week to talk about that you have to control your mind and you can control your mind. Bringing every thought captive bringing every thought captive. You say, how in the world can you do that? I'm going to teach you before we're done. A technique that you can, it's a, it's a habit you develop. Taking every thought captive, look at this, to the obedience of Christ. And we'll talk more about what that means in just a minute. Okay. Now, well, we'll talk about it now. So once thought caught we have to bring it in obedience in Christ. What does that mean, the Word? So we went through an exercise last week where I talked about just kind of a, 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 a hypothetical situation where, uh, where you were supposed to meet your best friend for lunch and they called you and said, I'm sorry, I'm tied up, I, something's, something's come up, uh, I can't make it. So you decide, I've got a reservation, we go to the restaurant anyway, and you're sitting there and there's your best friend talking to somebody else over there. And we talked about the patterns of thoughts in your mind and what you do with those. And an unrenewed mind very often will see these facts and begin to connect dots and draw conclusions. Well, I guess they'd rather go out with that person than me. And the next thing you know, it festers into jealousy and that can fester into other things if we let it go unchecked. But the renewed mind sees those same facts. And the thought may come... Well, they like that person better than me, but the very next reaction is, what does the Word say? I'm going to talk a little bit about this on Sunday. How does the, what does the Word say you, how you respond to these situations? The situation in Texas. The, the Word says something about that. What, what does the Word say? So a renewed mind's immediate thought is, but what does the Word say? What does the Word say? Because I've got to take this thought, and now I've got to measure it by God's Word, and if it doesn't measure up with God's Word, I'm not going to let it in. It's the UPS man sitting up. I don't care if it's got my address on it. I don't want it because I see where it's coming from. We'll talk about that in a minute. And that's a habit that you have to learn to develop, but you can do that. If I can do it, you can do it. But you have to determine to do that. You first of all have to believe what I taught you last week. You can control your mind. And the reason I know you can control your mind is two reasons. First of all, you do it when something happens that makes you control it. I used an example last week. If you're in the middle of a heated discussion with your spouse and the phone rings and it's Pastor Ray. Hello! Good morning! And immediately your emotions change and you get control. Why? Because you had an incentive 
enough to do it. And maybe that's the answer. We don't have enough of an incentive to get control. But so it starts, you've got to believe you can control your mind. But after all, it's only located between your ears. It's not like you've got to be fast enough to chase it. You've just got to be determined enough to control it. And you can do that. The second reason you can do it is because God said to do it. And God's not going to tell you to do something he knows you can't do. So you have to believe that you can do it. And then bring every thought, and we're going to, I'm going to teach you how to do that. How to bring every thought into captive, captive, keep that up, into obedience to Christ. Next verse. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What does that mean? Well, you may have to set your mind up so there's a, there's a consequence when your thoughts don't line up with God's word. Uh, and I gave you an example when I was a week or so ago when I talked about uh, controlling your mind and how I had, to, I had determined that I was going to write my mileage down because the, the job I had that time, I had to write my mileage down. And I was getting kind of lazy and sloppy about it. So if I got into bed and realized or wake up the next morning, I forgot to write down. Well, I got to figure out. Let's see. That was probably 50 miles, and I'd write that down. And then I began to realize that's not being honest. So I thought, I've got to get control of this. And so I set out a discipline, which was that every time, if I, re- if I forget to write it down, wherever I am, when I remember, I'm going to stop what I'm going to do, and I'm going to go write it down. And I share with you, the next time it happened, it was a cold, snowy night. The car was outside, covered with snow. I'd just gotten into a warm bed, and I'm just settling down. My wife's asleep, nice and warm next to me. The dog's in bed, everything's in a- I forgot to write it down. Now I've got a question. I've got a decision to make. Am I going to honor the decision I made, or am I going to fudge it? Because there's a lot at stake here. There's my own integrity at stake to myself. And so I chose to punish the fact that I didn't remember to do it. I made myself get up. I made myself put my boots on. I put my pants on. I don't remember I did that. I went out in that cold. I shoveled through the snow. I got into that car. I rode it down, shoved it back in there, and I went back to bed. But I never forgot again. You've got to be willing to take the thoughts and do something with them. Do something with them. Okay. All right, let's move along here. Okay. You've got to begin to see those thoughts that don't line up with the word as disobedience. We don't like that word. But thoughts of jealousy that we allow to flow around in our mind are disobedient thoughts because the words commanded us not to do that. Thoughts of revenge, thoughts of, 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 of anger at people. Those thoughts are exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. Why? God, God is love. That's why that, 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 that thing, that saying that was out years ago, what would Jesus do? I've started to reread a book that I had started, I'd read two years ago and we started a small group on uh, in, in His Steps, which is literally about choosing to do it in every decision, make a decision based on what would Jesus do in that situation. That's bringing your thoughts into obedience to Christ. So to allow those thoughts in my mind are allowing thoughts of disobedience. So we don't normally think in these terms because we just let thoughts run around in our mind and we just like those, those, those um, uh, 
bullfrogs that my brother opened up, flying all over the house. They're flying all over my, well, that's why I can't do anything about it. They're just kind of innocent. No, they're not. Every thought, every thought is intended as a dot in some image in your mind, which is intended to form a stronghold, either a godly stronghold or a stronghold that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Our thoughts are very important, or else God would not have said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. He even tells us what to think. We'll look at that in a minute. So it's not enough, though, to keep out disobedient thoughts. You have to intentionally put the right thoughts in in order to create the right image. And the, and the Bible's full of examples of this. Psalm 119. You have that verse? The psalmist wrote this. Your word, because what we're going to learn to do is we're going to learn to take the word of God and sow that into your mind as thoughts. Because the word of God is anointed by God to bring change about in you. It, the word of God is anointed by God. So he says, look what he did. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why? Because that word now becomes an image that when this sin tempts me, this image stands there against that sin. That I might not sin against you. Next verse is Proverbs 2. My son, listen to this. My son, receive my words. Treasure my commands within you. Words, instructions. Next verse. See that you incline your ear to wisdom. Apply your heart to understanding. Verse 3. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift your voice for understanding. Next verse. If you seek after her as silver. In other words, if you treasure God's thoughts and search for her as for a hidden treasure. Keep going. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. And look at this. You'll find the knowledge of God. What did those strongholds do? The seg- Satan tries to build in you. They exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. What will God's word do if you instill it in you and treasure it in you? You will understand the reverence or fear of God and you will discover the knowledge of God. You'll begin to know him and what he's like. And remember what this battle is all about. Satan wants to use your body to express himself and influence others in this world. And God needs to use your body to express himself and influence and affect others in this world with the knowledge of what he is, he is like. Let's go down to... Um, let's go to uh, um, Philippians 4, verse 8. Paul tells us what to think about. Imagine the audacity of God to tell us what to think about. It's my mind. I can do what I want. Yeah, you can, but you'll end up with the result of what you do with it. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, this is, this is a good filter. Obedience to the word. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Yeah, but, you know, i got to know what's going on. Yes, but notice what he talks about to meditate on. 
It doesn't mean you can't find out there was a tragedy in Texas yesterday. But if all you've done all day is look at the news, talk about how horrible it is, think about it, you're not, you're, those thoughts don't line up with this filter. With this filter. And you know it because you'll know the difference in how you feel and how you think. Okay, we've got to move on. Romans 8, let's look at that. For those who live according to flesh set their minds, set their minds, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What's your mind set on during the day? So you've, you've got to start your day by, I, start, I set my mind. I intentionally, purposely set my mind at the beginning of every day. This is who I am. This is who God is to me. And this is how I'm going to respond and react to situations during the day. Do I forget it during the day? Oh, yeah. But, when I, but, but the more I do that, the more during the day in the situations the Holy Spirit's able to bring back to my remembrance what I set my mind on. But if you don't set your mind at the beginning of the day, there's nothing for him to bring your mind back to. He doesn't plant the thoughts. He brings your mind back to the thoughts that you planted. The next verse. For to be carnally minded, to be thinking of the fleshly things of this world all the time, is death. I'm not talking about physically dying or spiritually dying. It's death. It stinks. It decays. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So that you're, if, you're, if your life is not full of peace right now, and it's full of life, then you need to check what you've been thinking on what you've been allowing as thoughts in your mind. So, I've just said God's trying to influence you and Satan's trying to influence you. So that raises the question, how do I know where these thoughts are coming from? Remember the example I used last time of the, of the UPS guy that shows up at your door? And most of us, you know, the doorbell rings, you open the door, and I, you, Amazon just drops it now, I guess. But they, but they, you, what they used to do is you ring the doorbell, you open the door, and he hands you the package. And what do we do? We take the package. And what does he say? Please sign for it. You sign for it, he goes back to his truck, you close the door, and now you come in, and unless it was something you were expecting, now you try to figure out what you just accepted. But it's too late. It's yours. So how do you know whether to accept something? How do you know whether to accept that package or not? You find out who sent it. That'll tell you a whole lot. If you look at that term address or the address on it, you say, I don't, I don't know who sent that to me. I don't know who that is. That raises a caution. If it's your grandmother or your mother, you know, or your best friend, oh, that's right. It's a packet, you know, it's a bunch of cookies or fudge or something that I want. But if you don't know that person, you should be cautious. But it's, it's almost too late now. And there may be something you can do to take it back. Because you signed for it. That's what happens with our thoughts. We take these thoughts in, we begin to think about them without ever discerning where did they come from? And what have they been given to me to do? So how, I mean, with a, with a package from UPS, I can look at the return address. But how do I know what the return address is on those thoughts that come to me. How do I discern where those thoughts have come from? Because if they've come from, where they come from determines 
what they're intended to do to me. So let's talk about a, a few things that we can look at. And it's a skill you develop over time. First of all, again, as I said, every thought has a purpose. By the way, these notes are online if you want them. Every thought has a purpose to form some image. Every thought is intended to be a dot in some image in your mind. So you need to find out what the image is intended to be as to whether or not you want it. God wants to reveal to you who he is and what he's done for you and what he wants to do in you, and Satan wants to stop him and get you to conform to the world. So the first thing you do, the first filter we do, is judge it by God's word. Why? Because God would never give you a thought that's not consistent with his word. (laughs) Brother Haken used to tell the story about discerning whether a prophetic message is from God or not. (laughs) He said there was a woman got up in one of his meetings and just started prophesying of God. She said this was God saying, Oh, my children, my dear children, I know what you're going through. I know you're so confused and you're so worried and sometimes I get worried and confused myself. And just went on and on. It's like, God would never say he's confused and worried because his word says God's not the author of confusion. His word tells us not to worry. So any thought that's intended to produce worry, any thought that's intended to produce, well, I'm getting getting ahead of myself. You've got to line it up with God's word. Is this consistent with God's nature, God's character? Is this consistent with God's word? God will never give you a thought that's not consistent with his word. They're not going to put this up there. James 1.17 says, talking about God, in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God doesn't change his mind. I get people, sometimes it will come to me and, you know, Pastor, God has sent us here. This is, God has told us this is our place. And six months later, Pastor, God's told us it's time for us to move on. Well, that's an interesting that God seemed to didn't know that when he sent you here. Uh, also, since God's word tells us to be planted, and now God's moved you on before you could get planted, I have trouble believing that that's God that's told you. I'm not talking to you, of course. I trouble to believe that that's God. So God's not changing his mind all the time. Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I change not. We just saw in 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Christ is the word. So that's the first thing. You judge these thoughts by God's word. And this is, but, but in order to do that, you've got to know God's word. You've got to be spending time in God's word. You've got to be spending more time in his book than in Facebook. You've got to be spending more time in God's word than in man's word. And in order to get to know, for the Spirit of God to be able to show you whether something lines up with God's word or not, God's word has to be in you enough to do that. The second thing, and now that gets a little more subtle, you have to judge it by its fruit. And what do I mean that? Every thought's in time intended to do something in you, and that's the fruit. So let's look quickly at... Uh, John 10, John 10, 10. Very famous scripture. But here's a way to tell. The thief, that's Satan. Let's, let's just talk this in terms of what we're talking about. Satan's thoughts come only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
So the question is, these thoughts I'm getting, are, are they stealing something from me? Are they trying to kill something in me or destroy something in me? But I have come, my thoughts have come, that you may have life and have life more abundant. Let me give you a real life example from this morning. I was praying about something. Not about something. I was just praying and I was just opening my heart to the Lord and, and, and beginning to just sense His presence and just a communion with Him. And it was just, it was just what, what I needed so much. And I'm in the middle of this and a thought comes to me from 40 years back of something that happened where I did something wrong. I made a mistake and did something wrong. And I, I went back and I've rectified it. I've made restitution for it. And I've, I've, I've asked for forgiveness for anybody who was hurt by it. But the next thought was, the first thought remembered that situation. The next thought was, maybe there's somebody you didn't get this right with. Not you didn't go with this person. See, here's an, I've taught my wife this. Maybe is not in God's vocabulary. So if your thought is, well, maybe, that's not God. Because maybe means I'm not sure. And God's sure. So whenever a thought comes to you and there's a, there's a suggestion in it, that's most likely not God. Because God doesn't suggest something. He tells you to do or not do things. Or he shows you something. So I was in this situation, and now I'm trying to discern, oh my, oh Lord, is this, should I, be done? Should I go pray? Should I? And I began, the moment I began to think those thoughts, I sensed, I was losing a sense of his presence. So the, what's, the, what's the fruit of what I was thinking of? It wasn't drawing me closer to God, it was beginning to build a wall between me or God. So I said, God, I, this sounds to me like this is not you, because I sense what it's doing to me, so I'm going to give this to you. If this is you, you're going to bring it back and show it to me in a way that doesn't pull me away from you. And then it just evaporated. It was a scheme of the enemy to interfere with my communion with God this morning. And years ago, I would have fallen for that. So it's a thing you learn. God's thoughts should always bring us closer to him. And Satan's thoughts will try to separate you. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is in the midst of a scripture where Paul... This is the, the Second Corinthians is a follow-up letter to 1 Corinthians. I know that's a great revelation. Uh, but there probably were four Corinthian letters, and we only have two of them. In the first letter, Paul addresses a situation that he tells them they should correct. I won't go into that. And they should discipline this man. All right? And so apparently they did, and now Paul's talking about what they need to do now that this man had been disciplined and had repented. And he said, I rejoice now that you were made sorry. And that doesn't sound like a faith person, does it? But that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorrow in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Stop there a second. So Paul's saying, you know whether this sorrow was godly. So God will, God will correct you. And he may correct you in a way that you're sorry for something. But the fruit of God's correction is it brings you to repentance. That's the goal of God's correction is to bring you to repentance. Satan's goal is to condemn you. Let's go on. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. So when God corrects you and you respond to it, it doesn't leave regret. So we're looking at the fruit of the thoughts. But the sorrow of the world, Satan's thoughts that bring sorrow, his sorrow produces death. It feels like you're separated from God. You feel like you're condemned. 
So one way to discern, is this God correcting me or is this the devil? Is, does it drawing you closer? See, godly correction commits, communicates love. The Word of God says, a father, actually Hebrews 12 says, because God loves you like a father, he will chastise you. That word doesn't mean beat you, it means correct you. Because he's trying to produce in you godly sorrow to produce in you holiness. His goal is to reproduce Christ in you. So areas of your life, attitudes, pride, things like that, God will correct them, and there's a system he uses. We can't go into it tonight. But the goal of them is to bring salvation. That doesn't just mean going to heaven. It means a wholeness to you, more like him, holiness. So it produces a fruit, because when God corrects you, he's telling you, I believe in you, son. I know you can do this. Now act like who you are. But when the devil's speaking to you, he's trying to push you down, condemn you, lose your confidence before God. And so the fruit of those thoughts will give you a long way towards discerning where they're coming from. Another way to determine it. Well, here's another one. Uh, Romans 10, 17, well-known verse. Faith comes by hearing, that's great, and hearing by the word of God. So anything God says to you should produce some measure of faith. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So when God, even God challenges you and says, Son, why are you doing that? He's communicating faith to you. I know you can. I believe in you. And you're not doing what I know you can do. All right, the next way you discern is learning by discerning the voice. This takes time. You learn by differences of experience. Um, in 1 Kings, they're not going to put it up. 1 Kings 19 is a story of Elijah when he was feeling sorry for himself, ran away. He just had this great miracle, this great showdown with the prophets of Baal, called fire down into heaven, destroyed the prophets of Baal, and he's had this great success, and the queen is so mad she put a death warrant out on him, and now he's panics and runs. That's the whole lesson in that. And he runs off, he's feeling sorry for himself, he ends up hiding in a cave, and the, Paul, the, 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 the scriptures say, and this great whirlwind came, but God wasn't in it. This, this tornado comes by, but God wasn't in it. There's noise, great noise comes by, but God's not in it. And then there came a still, small voice, and God spoke through the still, small voice. Most of the time when God's speaking to us, it's not a loud, noisy voice. I've only heard God's audible voice once, and I never want to hear it again. <laughs> it was a correction. He was upset at something I had an attitude about. And I don't want to hear it again because it was correcting me, and I don't want to be... I, and it was, he had to bring it to that level to do it, but he would do that because he loves me. So God's voice generally is subtle, and it's soft, and this is why you have to get in places where you learn to be able to discern, get quiet enough. This is what fasting does. This is what making times of prayer where you just get quiet. You just sit still before the Lord and be open. You have to build that space in. But that's the only way you can really hear clearly and know you're hearing. It's a still, small voice. And you learn by trial and error. Well, I think that was God and I stepped out. It wasn't God. Well, God knew that. And he'll, he, he's pleased you stepped out on it. And now we go back and say, well, that wasn't God, but sort of make a mental note of what that was like. 
and I had to grow in some of these things. There were some things, because the devil will push you. Because the devil's the opposite. He's not a still, small voice. He's pushing. He's pounding. He's threatening. If you don't do this, it's going to, what's going to happen. Look, at, there's condemning in it. There's all, it's pressure on you. And pres- Remember the mold? It's pressure. He doesn't want you to get quiet. He doesn't want you to get still. He doesn't want you to discern what's inside of you, because you may hear from God. So he's got to make noise. He's got to put pressure on you. It's got to be pounding at you. You didn't do this. You didn't. It's accusatory. See, God doesn't accuse you. He just tells you what you did wrong. So learning to discern that through trial and error. There was a situation a couple of years ago where I felt the Lord wanted me to step out in faith for healing for something I hadn't believed for before. And the instructions I was, was, I was not to go get a procedure done that my doctor wanted me to do. And I'm trying to discern, is this God or is this me coming up with a, a faith idea? But I was quiet. I spent time. I prayed in the Spirit. I meditated in the Word. And I just had this sense in me, it was a sense in me that this was right. And so I stepped out on that. And the result was I got supernaturally healed of something that there's no way I would have been healed of. So the next time something comes along, this thought comes to me, well, you ought to step out on this also. And I realized that was a different sense than the time before when I sensed it down in here. That's the next thing, is where are you discerning this? Because God has a, has a communication system Satan can't interfere with if you'll use it. It's real simple, and we don't have a lot of time to spend time on it. Romans 8.28 says, when we don't know what to pray, God's made provision for it. Because the Spirit of God inside of you, when you don't know what to pray, He will take hold together with you against it. That the word He says, He will help you. The word help is a compound word in Greek, which literally means take hold together with you against something. So He will come in and engage with you, and this goes on to say, to convert your feeble efforts into praying the perfect will of God. So he takes the efforts of your heart when you're praying and he converts them somehow into praying God's perfect will. That's our communication with God. But 1 Corinthians 2 says, Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love it. But, so what's in God's heart when he wants to communicate to you? But the Spirit's been given to us to reveal those things freely given to us by God. So the Spirit communicates back to us the thing that God has in his heart to show us, and those happen spirit to spirit. And, I, and of course, I used to teach on, on being led by the Spirit. This is God's perfect communication system. The breakdown is between here and here. God perfectly communicates to your spirit what he wants. The problem is we've got to learn to discern our, what is in our spirit by learning to pay attention to it to, by quieting down our minds. And so discerning, God's, it's a sense down an ear where Satan's only limit, only way to get us is through your mind. Is through your mind. All right, we'll begin to wrap this up. God's voice. Satan, God uses a still small voice. Satan's voice is often noisy, bombarding, repetitious. God's, Colossians 3.15, this is another way, fruit of it. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, if you don't understand what the original language says, the word rule there means be an umpire. 
And what does an umpire do? An umpire decides whether a pitch is a ball or a strike. An umpire decides whether the ball hit is fair or foul. The, ball, the, the umpire determines what it is. Is this truth? Is this error? Is this right? Is this wrong? And what is it that's the sign of that in you? Let the peace of God rule as an umpire in your heart. Now, you, I have to say this with some caution. He's saying that the peace rule in your heart, not your head. Sometimes we get peace because we've gotten away with something. Or God was dealing with you to do something, and you found some excuse not to do it, and you feel, whew, that's called relief, not peace. Peace. God works. It's, it's, it's a sweet spot. If there's a peace inside of you that's one of the signs, this is God talking to me. Doesn't that make sense when the one who lives inside of you is the prince of peace? I hope this was helpful because these are just practical things. Learning how do I discern where that thought's coming from? Do I accept that thought? Measure it against the word. What's the fruit of it? What's this intended to do? And this is a learning process by trial and error. And and God knows that. The Spirit of God is a teacher. He's in you to teach you how to discern. But it starts by recognizing how important taking every thought captive. And as we move forward, I'm going to teach you, begin to teach you next time some techniques for learning how to do this. Next week, Pastor Michael's going to be ministering to you because our, our granddaughter Emma is graduating uh, next Wednesday from, uh, from high school. So we need to be there. And I know you'll understand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you've taught us tonight. And we pray that you would take the things that we've heard and have the teacher who lives in us to take these things and help us to begin to apply them in the days and the weeks ahead. We thank you for the assurance that you give us in your word that you are right now at work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. Thank you, Father, that we believe you're speaking to us, that this is a a moment in time when you are prepared to do something that's needed to be done in our lives to move these strongholds and these images out to be replaced with godly strongholds, godly images, so that the limitations may be taken off. What you want to do in us, for us, and most especially what you want to do through us. We pray tonight, Father, that any, everyone that's in the sound of my voice here that doesn't know you, doesn't know Christ Jesus as their Lord, will make that decision tonight to receive Christ as their Savior. And Father, we pray over the offering that's been made tonight, and we thank you, and we commit it into your hands, and thank you for providing for us everything that we need. In Jesus' name. Before we close, as I just prayed, I know virtually everybody here. I can't see everybody in the back, but you're pretty regular, so I know who you are. But there may be somebody watching online tonight. You may have stumbled across this, wondering what in the world this is, or maybe you've been watching for a while. Sometimes people do that because they want to check it out. Everything I talked about tonight, about the people that are here, what God's put in you, the light, the truth, the peace, the joy, the God literally, Christ literally lives in us. He's living in us now. He's offered that to you. He's paid the price for you already. The price is paid. The ticket's been paid for. It's yours. But as with any gift, you have to receive 
that gift. And in this case, the gift is his son, Jesus. You may have been like I was, raised in church and, and taught to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's great. The devils believe that. You may have been like I was, raised in church to believe he paid for our sins. And that's wonderful. But that's not enough. It's a personal transaction where you come to Christ and you receive the gift that he offers to you of himself to come into your life and bring with him his peace, his joy, his forgiveness to pay for your sins and to give you peace with God. If you've never done that, I want to help you to do that tonight. And here's what we have to do. I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer and all you've got to do is just mean this as, as best you can. So I'm going to ask you to all of us to pray this with me out loud. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now, and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, if you prayed that with me tonight for the first time, or maybe you recommitted your life to the Lord tonight, here's what I want you to do. There's a phone number at the bottom of your screen. I want you to call that phone number tomorrow morning. Someone will answer that phone, and then we want to send to you some free material to give you a better understanding of what you've done tonight. If you need prayer, they'd be happy to pray with you. And come and join us on Sunday morning here at 930 live. Well, if you can't do that, join us online, and we're going to continue to talk about some of these things. We're so glad that you were with us tonight, so glad all of you were here. If for any chance there was somebody here that prayed that for the first time, again, I think I know everybody here. If you so, would you come and see me, and I'll make sure you get those same...